Welcome to the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking. And guess what, y'all? We black in the garden. You have arrived at the intersection of Black culture and horticulture with your girl, Cola B. Talking, hostess with the mostest of Black in the Garden. Previously on Black in the Garden. You can see the, the care, the great yeah. care she, she puts into taking um, care of her plants and her flowers, her herbs, her spices, her vegetables, everything. Like she, every day she makes it a ritual to go outside and, and you know, uh, water her flowers and her plants. It's like, it's therapeutic for her. It is. And, Amen, mama. And, you know, and since we're talking about like sustainability and, you know, plant-based eating and just holistic living, I'm just so fascinated by how healing nature is. You know, I tell people like we, we live in a society that likes to turn to pills for everything, but there's only so much pills can do for you. Like the real medicine is in what we eat. It's in our food. It's in nature. And so I'm deeply fascinated. Guess what, y'all? Psych. We already did that part because we already did the intro. We are Black in the Garden. You know that by now. You know I'm Cola B talking. And you're tuned into episode two of season two of this dope podcast. And I am just thrilled to be the host at this point. And so we're going to get right on into it. Season two, y'all. Wow. So we made it. Uh, the last episode was a great time, a wonderful conversation with Ashley Renee. And you see what I did that? You see what I did with the previously? We just kind of, you know, give you a little taste of what you might have missed. In case you missed the episode, go ahead back and listen to that. Go, you just finish this one first. This is a good one, too. <laughs> this is a good one. They all good. So definitely get into what you missed. If that's season one as well, I'm just saying you, you probably got time. Shout out to Coco and Seed for being such a dope affiliate as well as a supporter of Black in the Garden. So I just want to tell you a little bit more about Coco and Seed where when you want to, when you get ready to go find them, it's very important that you use the affiliate link that is in the show notes. But the thing about Cocoa and Seed is that it is a dope black business and you can get things like home decor. You can get a mason jar hydroponic growing system that is super cute. Uh, as far as growing systems go, you can also get that microgreens planter that is kind of like a self-watering situation. There's these really cute Monstera mugs. I'm telling you, like everything is first and foremost, it's cute. It is, when it comes to the growing systems, your windowsill is all that you need. So support black business, support black in the garden and get you some dope things, some items, new things are coming out, all of that on that website. But you need to go through the affiliate link. That's all that I ask when you go visit Coco and Seed that you go through the Black in the Garden affiliate link. That is in the show notes. That is also in my link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash Black in the Garden. Thanks for your support. So it turns out that like so many things that happen on the internet, I missed out on World Naked Gardening Day. And so because that happened, I'm gonna go ahead and let y'all know that this segment is being recorded in the nude, all right? So don't get too deep off in your imaginations as to what that might could look like. Just know that's what's happening. But I do wanna speak on the significance of a naked world gardening day as it occurred to me when I 
decided that I was going to go ahead and mention that on this podcast. It turns out that I recently learned somewhere last year, and it was definitely on the internet and it was definitely on social media because we be out here sharing information and knowledge. And there was something that was brought to my attention that was so simple yet profound in regards to uh, Black people and us just dressing in general is that the clothing of Africans is actually colonialism. Is it colonial? What's the word I'm looking for? Is it colonialism? Is it uh, white supremacy? Something along those lines where basically, if you think, just think about it. Listen, I'm not up here trying to throw no conspiracy theories at you or anything that is far-fetched or unreasonable. Y'all know that when our people, our people, people, before white people came through, were in their original lands, clothing was not a big deal. Clothing was not really much of a thing. You know, we we dressed the way that we dressed. But when I say dress, I don't mean the putting on of clothes. I mean the adorning of ourselves. And it was just, it was hot, y'all. Like, come on, now we're talking about Africa. It was very much hot. So clothing was just not a big deal. Clothing was more so a European thing. Clothing was more so something that was very much concerned with matters of modesty. All right. So, of course, when our African ancestors are exposed to, well, were they exposed? Which way was it? Were they exposed to the Europeans or the other way around? Either way it goes. Once that situation came to be and there was the events we all know what I'm talking about once all these events took place and we were our ancestors were subject to having to deal with the standards conform to the standards of the European society that our ancestors were forced into clothing was something that was one of the first things I imagine that was situated because modesty. Y'all not going to be out here in the fields naked. But bringing it back to where we are right now with World Naked Gardening Day, I hope that besides it being something fun and cute, with this in mind, we can go forward and do a little bit more research and understand exactly why we wear clothes in the first place and what it is, what, what it began as. And just, I don't know, y'all just, just learn something. You know what I'm saying? We got time. And I'm probably going to say that a bunch of times because it's true, but we got time. So those of you who are riding with us from season one, remember our Kwanzaa principles of the week. I did not completely forget, you know, I'm just trying to get by y'all. I'm trying to get by, but doing a podcast, wearing all the hats, pushing all the buttons, dealing with the pandemic and kids and all the other messiness that life likes to throw at us. It is, listen, we just, we got to push on, but I'm not here to bore you with my troubles. I am just here to reiterate that at this time. Well, I said reiterate as if I already said a thing, but I'm getting to it. So I want to ask the question as we're thinking about the Kwanzaa principles. That's where I started out. I can stay on track. So the question in lieu of the Kwanzaa principles is how are we helping the world with our gifts? And I'm specifically talking to the those of us who are gifted with the ability to grow or to do anything around helping with something that will be good for our people and good for the earth, good for the environment. Can you grow something? Do you have access to seeds? Do you have organizational skills that would lend well to putting together a community garden or putting together a group that would allow us to be able to 
help the community. And when I say group, of course, I know what time it is. I know that this is social distancing pandemic time. However, the other question, the other gift, this is a big gift, creativity. All right. Some of us have gifts that are really dope and amazing, but don't really recognize our ability to be creative. And that's fine. There's plenty of us creatives out there and we want to assist with viable and valuable creative ways that we can still get things done during this time because there's a lot of important and relevant things that we could be doing with our gifts, specifically when it comes to what we can grow. So I want to encourage you towards that on this episode on today, episode two, season two of Black in the Garden. Think about it. Talk to yourself, journal it, whatever. Talk to your friends, talk to your family members, whoever your support system is. And not only ask yourself, how am I helping with my gifts? But also ask your people, how are we helping with our gifts? So uh, with that in mind, when it comes to just help in general, there are some gifts that you might could give me if you would like to sow a seed of support. I am totally for that and I am appreciative of that. You can become a patron. All of that information is in the show notes. And I just found out that Anchor, who is the host of this podcast, is waiving their fees that they usually would charge. There's like a whole processing situation that they go through. But according to Anchor, they know that podcasters are impacted by the world's current circumstances. So in order to support everyone's ability to earn more from their podcast, they are allowing you to support this podcast by clicking the button that is on the Black in the Garden Anchor page in order to contribute so that you can, you know, help us with the sustainability of keeping this thing going. Because I mean, it's free to you. (laughs) It's free to your ears to receive. But on my end, there's work that is being done. I love doing the work and I love you for even considering becoming a supporter. And I appreciate that. I appreciate it. You know, I do. So Yes, if it's if it's in your spirit, if it's on your heart, go ahead and, and push the buttons and, and drop something. So today we are joined by Chris of the Afrobeats podcast here on Black in the Garden. And I'm very excited to be speaking with another Black podcaster. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Colby. Thanks for having me. No problem. I am just, I, I'm like, where do we, where do we begin? Should we begin with your introduction to gardening? But first, before I ask you that, because, you know, I'm, I'd be kind of all over the place sometimes. Were your parents gardeners? Were my parents farmers? Gardeners or, you know, oh, your gardeners. parents mm-hmm. No, not at all. This is uh, my journey is completely left field. Well, I guess not completely. My like grandmother on my dad's side, um, she had a little something going on in her yard. She lived in North Carolina, you know, big yellow house, but she was growing like collards and, you know, yams, sweet potatoes, things like that. So when we would throw down during Christmas and Thanksgiving, uh, I got to see some of that growing up. So that was the only real exposure I ever had to the land and gardening. And then it would take me, you know, years, like almost 15, 16, 17 years before I kind of came into my own in that realm okay so you were leading right into it I love what you said I love the way that you described that experience with going to North Carolina and remembering the holidays and remembering what your grandmother was growing and I mean that was a beautiful picture for you to say the yellow house I'm like so do you do any writing I don't do any writing. I do some blogging sometimes. Every now and then I do poetry, but that's just me fooling around. Sometimes I write love letters to girls and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing crazy, nothing crazy. Okay, play a play, I see. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Chris, what's your introduction to gardening since you didn't quite start when you were a youth? Tell us about how you got started. So my introduction to gardening actually started with service. So about 
I would say three years ago, I was in this AmeriCorps program called City Year. And City Year is basically this nonprofit organization that goes into, takes young people that go into schools and do community service projects, you know, around the country. And you just kind of get your foot in the door with like service and like helping others. You help, you know, different areas that are like of needs, usually in poverty and things like that. And so one day we had a MLK service day. And I remember it so vividly that like there was three options of places I could have gone. And for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I went to the project that was food related. And I'm so glad I did because when I went to that specific project, it like changed my life. It changed the course of my life. So wow. basically what happened was there was a business there called Fresh Truck. And Fresh Truck is basically this nonprofit that converts old school buses into produce markets. And so I met this entrepreneur named Josh, and he started talking to me stuff about, you know, um, food deserts and how he goes into the community with these converted buses that are now produce markets and gives it to like elderly people, you know, people in poverty, people who can't get to the grocery store because, it's, you know, it's so far away. And I was like, wow, like, this is amazing. And that was what kind of inspired me to go deeper. Oh my God. Okay. So Chris, wow. You just tapped into one of my, my deepest, most like relevant uh, desires for entrepreneurship. I have been seriously considering doing that exact same thing. I recognized when I first started growing and I realized, okay, what could you do with your ability to grow food? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I was like, how could I help my people? And I recognized that there's a logistical issue when it comes to food deserts, right? right. Because oftentimes the, there's, a, there's a problem with access. There's a problem with mobility. So bring the food to the people. And I realized it needed to be mobilized. And so I need you to connect me with this person. Side note. I, could, I could definitely do that. Josh is like amazing. I've been trying to, I'm about to actually go back to Boston um, soon. So I'll probably have to put a put a little bug in his ear about you and let him know that you're interested so we can definitely do that oh my god that yes yes so i'm i'm super hyped we're just getting started and okay so you you said going to boston i'm sorry i should have asked you yeah so i give you the setting so and i was in uh i had gone to western massachusetts for four years i was in school um, in Western New England University, it's real s- small, like private school. Um, don't know how I got all the way in mass, but I was there. And then I spent two years at Boston doing service when I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. And so I ended up in the situation with the service project and it kind of led me down a rabbit hole. Um, once I did that, project, I was like, okay, what is a food desert? Like, how can I help with this situation? How can I get more involved? It just kind of felt like a calling to do something more yes. like to help others. Cause I was already in that space cause I was already serving this program. And so I did my research. I started falling into people like Ron Finley, the gangster gardener who like was super motivating to me. Um, I started cooking more okay. vegetables in my food and people started taking notice. And I started like posting, you know, little things here and there, little different gardens and things I was finding out. But it's funny that my, you know, vegan, um, food experience that transition actually started with the land. So when I was doing my research, I started learning about Ron Finley. He was like, start growing shit. Like I, I took that, you know, full heartedly and just started getting in the garden. Well, I remember like, I just had like a porch pretty much. And I had like a small window yeah. in my room, just tiny room, but I just started growing anything, something, you know, I think I first started with like some lavender in the window, which was not a great idea. And Boston, you know, in the middle of winter, I had no clue. I was just like, yeah, hey, I'll put some, put some seeds in the soil, you know, see what happens. And it was just awful. Um, <laughs> it did not go well. I and I was traveling at the same time. So I did all the things you're not supposed to do as a garden, basically. Um, but that's how you learn. Yeah, no, that's super important because, you know, a lot of people fail the first time and they're like, oh, I have like a black thumb, brown thumb. I never thought about it that way. I was just like, you know, I'm starting something new, just like any other skill, just like you learn how to walk, just now you learn how to drive, things like that. It's going to take time to, to learn. So 
I tried again and I eventually grew something um, that I could be proud of. I mean, it wasn't huge, but it was, it was like, I was so proud of it. So I had this porch space. I, I got these grow bags and I did some no radishes because I heard radishes are like the, the quickest thing to get the, the best result. And it was probably like the size of my thumb, I think. But I was so proud of like that one little radish that kind of like sprouted out. And, you know, I posted on Instagram and that was kind of it. People were like, oh, so you're gardening now and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I do a little something, something. But it wasn't like that one thing in the general public's the the non the non-educated on gardening mind mm-hmm. then you're the garden guru you know what i mean mm-hmm. like for those exactly. who don't know how to grow it's a huge deal and no shade to anybody who doesn't know how to grow it's not shade it's just like you can do it too right That's right it. yeah there is a so, magic yeah, to it it is magical it is. It's does it's it like a magic of like producing life, yeah. Yeah. Does do you uh, do you sometimes feel like that kind of sense of wonder, like like children feel, you know, when you look at something, you're like, oh my god. Yeah, absolutely. And I've I've seen it firsthand, you know, children in the garden. Um, after I eventually left Boston, I actually became a teacher. Um, believe oh. it or not. Yeah. Um, so I was a teacher so- in uh, elementary school. But I just skipped a lot of stuff. There's some other parts there, but we can definitely talk about that. There's a lot because, okay, so let me clarify. Where are you from and where are you? Is that the same place? Yes. Uh, yes, it currently is. So I grew up in the DMV, um, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Um, MoCo, for right. people who are familiar, which is Montgomery County, it's like the northern suburb of D.C. Um, but my grandmother has mm-hmm. lived. Uh, in DC. She used to live on D Street. Um, and I actually ended up at a school like around the corner for where I used to hang out with my uh, grandmother, you know, on the weekend and mm-hmm. have such fond memories of that. But so I went to, you know, the Massachusetts Boston area for college after I left here. And I, you know how you just want to get away from a place after you've just been there so long and, you know, discover and play around. So that's what Massachusetts yeah. and Boston was for me. And then I, uh, something kind of drove me back, you know, just coming back home and I ended up becoming a teacher for a little while. A teacher right around the corner from where your grandmother used to live. Yeah, literally like a five minute walk, which was crazy. So it was like at that point in life, I was like, oh, I'm where I'm supposed to be. It just, it felt too connected. Those are some of the best moments. That's, those moments can be very affirming. Mm-hmm. When, you know, like, um, like I mentioned to you before we got started uh, about, you know, I was asking you if you had read the um, Farming While Black book. And you're like, it's sitting on my lap. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have mine, too. <laughs> but we're going to come back to that. Sure. Come back to that. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, okay, so you, you grew a radish. That's when you knew that you were destined to be a gardener and you were just going to grow all the things, I'm sure. I and know. so yeah. you're... I, I didn't know if I was going to be a gardener, but I knew that like, I loved the feeling of it. You know, when you just do something and you just like purely love it for like just doing it. I knew that was the case. So I knew I wanted to do something with growing food. I felt the same way when I started gardening. So I can absolutely relate to that. And okay. So I, I mentioned in the introduction that you are that Afrobeat dude that's the name of your podcast afro b-e-e-t-s as in you know the vegetable Mm. and your podcast is about what you call afro veganism now that's the term somewhat maybe kind of new to me i think can you tell us what afro veganism is to you sure so it's actually still connected to my uh growing journey so the reason why it might not be familiar because it, it really is a new thing. There's a few of us out here in the Insta world and the social media world who are kind of like starting to carry that subculture of Afro-veganism. I first heard the yeah. term of Afro-veganism from a guy named Bryant Terry, who is um, this huge vegan chef on the West Coast. He created a um, cookbook called Afro-vegan. 
And that was my first introduction to veganism. So when I was growing, you know, the rashes and vegetables and things like that, my teammates at the time in my program were like, oh, wow, you're growing like a lot of vegetables and stuff now. I see you eating a lot of vegetables. What, are you like a vegan now? And I was like, my response was like, uh, no, not really. But, you know, I could probably do it for a couple of weeks. And then they were like, no, you can't. And I was like, all right, bet. And um, I ended up being like a vegan for like a couple of weeks. And so when I was on that journey of trying to like prove something, um, I picked up Afro-veganism as my first cookbook, which was crazy because anybody who's like an OG vegan from the past, like black vegans in general, aren't like typically a thing that are in the mainstream. So the fact that there was like a brother that looks like me who was talking about veganism and also talking about food with like an Afrocentric lens. Like if you look at that cookbook, you're getting something from yeah. the Caribbean, you're getting something from Africa, you're getting soul food, you're getting all that into one book. And then it's, it's yeah. all plant-based which is like, that was like mind blowing. I was like, what? Like people actually do this? Like I never heard this. This is so amazing. And so that was when my said, journey. Yeah. You mean, you said people, you mean your people, like black people. Right, right. Little do I know, yeah. like I do more research and I started educating myself. Really veganism has been around in the back, black community. It just hasn't gone mainstream. It's, it's been around. There's so many pioneers. That's right. Let's get to that because what I immediately thought of when you were saying that Black veganism is not in the mainstream, I myself, I'm not claiming veganism at the moment, but mm -hmm. I do claim what I like to call veggie-centric. Sure. But going back to the motherland, okay, going back to the beginning of civilization, or just in general around the world as it is now, Black people are definitely vegan, even if they're not calling it vegan. They're just sure. only consuming vegetables, right? Sure. Like when you look at uh, like ja Jamaican culture, for instance, you have the, the subculture of Rastafarianism and they're very spiritual yeah. about the food and how they're connected with the food. You know, they don't eat, you know, dairy, they don't eat, you know, meat. And they, they use it as a, like a spiritual practice. Like that's a part of their spirituality. And so you can go back as far as there. You can go back as far as Africa. And just if you think about it from a kind of like socioeconomic sense, meat is like a luxury in a lot of places. And, you know, you, you mostly had to survive on plants because that's where you're getting the most nutrients from. And so it was you were only eating chicken and goat and things like that. If it was a ceremony, you know, like a big time ceremony, like a wedding or something like that, it wasn't like an everyday thing. Um, I'm not saying all cultures, but there's definitely a few cultures out there where meat is a very sacred thing because you have to slaughter the animal. You had to do so many things with it to, you know, get it to your plate. That's, that is a very good point. Yeah, that is, that is a part of it as well. Um, I know that um, who in some circles of vegans, because I'm, I'm familiar with there being different types of mm. vegans, uh, black vegans um, being no different. There's there's the category of those that are somewhat pretentious. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, I'm vegan, turning my nose up at you, like, what the F is wrong with you? Right, right. <laughs> and has been an assumption that has been made about you as a black vegan mm -hmm. yeah it's it's definitely like a, a spectrum when i got into the space it it definitely came off as like some people were being very judgmental um some people were very flexible also with it some people were like just mad cool they're just like yeah you know i was eating meat for this long and then i you know slowly made that transition some people were like why are you eating meat like how could you like and it's, it's, it's just all over the place. It can be a mess. Um, that's why, like, <laughs> I tell people, focus on yourself and the steps you're making and how you can make individual little changes. Because every little bit is helping in whatever you do. If you're talking about environmental change, if that's what motivates you, if you're talking about health, if you're talking about animals, whatever you decide to go into this movement, just know that you have to decide it for yourself. You can't let anybody decide it for you. 
Um, just because somebody is vegan doesn't make them a good person. Just because somebody is vegan doesn't make them a healthy person, you know, spiritually and physically. You know, I actually like to promote uh, plant-based diets before I even talk about veganism, just to get people in the, the mindset that, you know, plants are here to help us. Plants are source of everything because it comes straight from the land. And I'm all about connecting people back to the land. Um, first and foremost, especially our people. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Wow. You just sound like such a sage. I love that. So I'm just taking all that in because, I mean, there's there's so much relevance to everything that you're saying. And I appreciate you not being among the pretentious. Um, I remember when I, I definitely have been vegan in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when I first got like fully involved in veganism that was what I resorted to was mm-hmm. being stank about it like, oh you still eating meat like and then it, there was an evolution um one of the things that my mom says is just keep on living mm-hmm. and it took me a while to kind of understand what that meant which is basically like you know you live and you learn you grow you evolve and some of those sharper points that you uh, kind of develop when you're being like real extra with the judgment. <laughs> you Life can mellow you out and, and you just remember, it's really not that deep. But um, of course, our health is important. And I know that that is uh, kind of a cornerstone to plant-based diets or veganism. Can you talk about the difference between what what is um, known as plant-based versus vegan? Sure. So vegan is a like a rights movement it's like almost like a civil rights movement like it's it's based off of animal consumption so veganism um, originated from the oppression of like animals so it's more of a lifestyle choice whereas a plant-based diet is a diet it's it's an eating style and you know, the plant-based diet is a byproduct of veganism, technically. A lot of people say they're, you know, vegan, but they still consume animal products, um, such as like, you know, like leather and, you know, maybe they have it in some of like their hair or like makeup or something like that. And so veganism Mm. is an all-encompassing lifestyle. I think there's three main points, the environmental effects, the animal effects, and then the health effects, those are all encompassing in veganism. Um, But a plant-based diet is more like, oh, I focus um, on consuming mostly plants in my diet, um, mostly for health reasons. And there's, you can be technically um, eating like maybe a little bit of meat here and there or fish or something like that, and then still have mostly a plant-based diet. It's not an all-encompassing plant diet, but a plant-based that's typically what it means. Like I know people who are, you know, eat extremely healthy and um, they still eat like a little meat here and there, but most of their diet is of plants. And so there's, like I said, there's a spectrum to it. I know that might not be the most, you know, politically correct if you're like a vegan, but, you know, I'm telling people you don't have to start, you know, by like tossing everything out. Like you can work your way up. There is a spectrum to this. Um, Every little bit helps. Yeah, girl, finish that pack of hot dogs, and then what? <laughs> what well, do I don't know about the hot dog. The hot, you don't know what's in those hot dogs, but everything else. I'm just saying, yeah. like, either finish the pack or go ahead and throw it out, yeah. and then go and get your get your um your veggies together, or you know, get you some seeds together. Figure out how you can grow maybe some microgreens. Exactly. You know, you can grow microgreens quickly. That's like nature's fast food. So, um, you know, just starters. That's And that, that leads me to one of the questions that I want to ask you. Um, what are some really easy meals or, you know, really good things that you would suggest for someone who is a baby vegan, a newly beginning? New vegan, baby vegan. Um, yeah. Suggest if you're, if you're trying to go like plant-based, start off with like smoothies. Honestly, like not too many people actually know how to like make a decent smoothie. That'll go a long way as far as like getting your nutrients because typically you eat a smoothie in in the morning 
Um, if you start off with like a raw um, kind of like smoothie in the morning, that'll like get you on the path for like the rest of your day. Mostly you're going to want to eat after that. And like there's certain like ratios um, for different things. Like I do like a simple like strawberry banana smoothie. I'll do like uh, I'll put like two frozen bananas in there and then like half a cup of strawberries, um, some type of like maybe a cup of like almond milk or something like that little agave in there and then just blend it up and you got a banana strawberry smoothie right there ready to go um it's, you're gonna feel great after it it's gonna give you a jet start on your day i say start with that um start with like actually knowing how to construct a, a decent salad you know like a lot of people think salads mm. are wrong because when we go to restaurants all we get is you know tomatoes this thing just uh like iceberg lettuce that's been sitting out for like weeks, you know, it's salads can be a beautiful thing. If you know how to like layer them correctly, like get some actually decent greens, you know, get some arugula, try some like bok choy, play around with some different cultural flavors, you know? Yeah. Grow you some. Definitely grow because you know, lettuce is an easy, uh, it's an easy starter plant mm-hmm. or uh, edible for people to grow i'm so glad that you you got into the salads and it's it's funny how you're like a decent salad and i feel like the thing that came to mind is like a good salad is kind of like a symphony yeah you got all these flavors layer it it's not just about the dressing it's like you can play with texture you can put like sunflower seeds in there exactly tell us about salad or the best salad that you had recently with that in mind best salad i had recently okay so the holidays just came around i like doing amazing like holiday salad i try to play with the flavors and uh veggies that are like available so i start with a base of like kale um it's actually an interesting mix i do like a uh apple cider vinaigrette which is really easy to make um, you get some apple cider, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of apple juice, um, some neutral type of oil, a little bit of agave for sweetener, you know, mix that up, um, bind it with, with some Dijon mustard. That's how you make the um, the vinaigrette. Then with the kale, I do cranberries, pecans, because those are in like peak season around the holidays. I do mm. couscous for like your whole grains or you can do a quinoa i, I like the uh israeli or pearl couscous it has an interesting texture it kind of okay. reminds me of like macaroni a little bit um so i put pearl mm-hmm. couscous in there and i do chickpeas and do a little put a little salt put a little pepper um maybe do like a little lemon pepper if you want to get a little fancy with it i think that's where people the two things that people get mixed up with salads is they forget two things one they're not massaging their salad well enough to get the dressing. The dressing is probably the most important part of the salad because it's going to break down the hearty greens like your kales and things like that. And it's Mm. digestion, but it's also going to flavor your salad really well. And they also forget spices. I I always see people forget like to just add a little salt, a little pepper will go a long way. And then you can get creative with it and add different flavors, different textures and things like that. yeah for sure I mean listen I'm I am that salad girl I'm right there with you I love how you incorporated the chickpeas in there I know that adds protein yes you also incorporated the grain in there um I know that's not common for people who are not big salad heads Mm -hmm. to incorporate I've even put rice in my salad like a leftover there's a little bit of rice left over throw some rice in that thing yeah so you you definitely yeah hitting the right point because typically like what i started learning earlier on is that eating certain things at certain times of the day um just makes your body flow better like it's like starting up a car you don't want to start off with always like this big heavy meal like i you know i enjoy a little big heavy meal like i'll get some plant-based sausages some like um you know beyond meat or whatever some just egg every now and then but most of the time to get my body working at like the perfect way i start off with something like a smoothie something raw then I'll add some more grains and nuts with a salad in the middle. And then I'll go to like my one pot meal at the end of the day. And that really works for me um, and my body. Um, everybody's different, of course, but salad, if you can figure out how to incorporate, like you said, the grains, uh, the protein, the vegetables, the fruit inside of that, 
that's a whole meal right there. Mm. And you're going to feel amazing. You know, everybody gets tired after like one, 2 p.m. after eating lunches because they're, you know, these heavy things that aren't like providing them energy to for the rest of the day. That's wow. That is a good point. And, and the other thing that I wanted to touch on with the salads is what you're saying about massaging the dressing in there. And you mentioned kale in the salad. And one thing that I learned in my uh, time as a vegan when it comes to kale is that you should marinate that kale in like a vinegar based situation because kale just raw and uncut, like, yo, (laughs) that is going to be a beast to chew. Mm -hmm. So um, I didn't want to throw that in there. Uh, I, I figured you would agree with that. Have you, you marinate your kale like absolutely like all the time like I get in there like I I get the 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 two spoons and I I whip it up like I'm in sweet greens out there you know you gotta you gotta take your time that's right that is that is exactly it so okay so I want to talk about your podcast tell us how Afrobeats got started yeah so the podcast before the podcast i was just posting um thing different gardens i saw in my area and then some of the foods i was trying as i was on my vegan journey and so i just felt like when i was looking for community out there and kind of what i was doing i found vegans and i found you know black vegans i found black plant lovers but i couldn't find people who were vegan and love plants so i was like it'd be really cool if we bridge this community like we we both have we both love plants we just consume them in different ways and so I really wanted to bridge the the gap between you know plant creatives and you know food creatives because I think that's important you can't have one without the other you need the people to grow the food and then you need people to take that produce and create it into you know and so that was my vision for Afrobeats um the podcast the the name Afrobeats actually came from uh, music. I was in, uh, if you know DC, it's called uh, Meridian Hill Park. And one day they just had this live music going on there. And it was just these like beautiful um, black people of the diaspora just playing music on drums. They had these like killer beats. And I was, you know, doing my thing with, you know, posting, gardening content, food content. And then I was like, I really need a name for this platform because at that point I was just going by my name. And then I started hearing these drums, man, and it just started connecting with me. I was like, wow, this sounds like Afrobeats music. I think that's like what this is. And then I it clicked. It was like Afrobeats, beats. I like beats, the vegetable. You know, it can definitely, you know, connect. And that's kind of how the, the name came to be. Oh, wow. Okay, you you really had me when you said that you felt connected to the drums. Yeah, that's a very real thing. <laughs> yeah, the I, drums will always affect us. That's the one thing I think us as people we always have this crazy spiritual connection to. It's it's plants and uh, nature. I feel like even more than other cultures, we're just drawn to color. You know, being outside, things like that, and then the music mm-hmm. and just making that connection. Mm, that is it uh afrobeats indeed so i love that you have this really cool name you got connected by the drums mm-hmm. and uh how long have you been how long has your podcast been going on so this is about the beginning of the the third year it's definitely gone through some evolution at first it was just like kind of me just kind of talking about the journey and everything like that but what i realized is i really want to be on my like Kind of like Anthony Bourdain shit, like really finding yeah. stories out there that haven't been told. Um, I want to eventually get it yeah. to a point where it's all on video and I, I'm experiencing cultures just not from, you know, the growing and the food aspect, but also the other parts, you know, like we were saying, like the music, the the dance, the language, like I believe food is like the ultimate connector. And if we can, you know, connect through that, I wonder what else we could connect with. Yo, wow. Okay, when you said Anthony Bourdain, you mm-hmm. touched on a pain point. For me. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to vent a little bit, but sure. ride with me with this, okay? Sure. So one thing that I recognize, because I see your vision, and I support your vision, and it goes right along with this concept of how representation matters. Mm-hmm. I used to be a 
very frequent and avid consumer of uh, programming on the travel channel. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it was like the militant in me was just like, nah, but where do black people know? Right. They are always going always this white man who was going into these brown cultures and exploring and you know being mostly respectful i guess because i wasn't really watching through that Mm -hmm. lens i was just particularly interested in the cultures that they were exploring but i just found myself getting growing more and more weary of seeing it always be a white person particularly a white man and i just realized wow that's really the whole you know structure for like all of these shows on the travel channel and I got particularly annoyed about it when I realized by having this white man go in there into these brown spaces or into any space um him being the host is asserting the fact that he's the authority on it mm-hmm. and that just really me. so I love the concept of you going into and doing that and that being a whole show and I was about to say, yeah, get your YouTube on, but like, but for real, I'm I'm like, I'm calling out ET right now with like, why don't we have that kind of programming? Right, why don't right. we have black travel? Because we know black people are traveling on Instagram for sure, sure. because there's so many black travel Instagram pages. Sure. Do you draw any inspiration from any of those pages? Um, that's particularly and uh instagram but i we've been as a people as far as we want to go back we've been already doing that we just haven't documented it properly you know only reason i mentioned bourdain is because when i mentioned bourdain everybody knows what that means and what the vision i'm trying to go for but if if you just look all over the world there's pieces of pieces of us all over the world and so somebody's been traveling we're the, the most diverse you know culture like in the world like, there's no way we have all these, you know, different, you know, mixtures with other cultures without us having to travel, you know? And so I, I do get inspiration. I get inspiration from people in different locations. You know, on my podcast, I interview people from the UK. I, you know, I even like in America, it's so diverse. If you I have people who I interview from Atlanta, from you know, LA from New York, and they're all so different within a subculture. So I'm just trying to start small and then work my way outward. Yeah, shout out to them. You even interviewed somebody from South Carolina. Me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dang. Checked it off my list. I'm gonna hit all the states. All of them. I know there's some of us everywhere. Right, right. Yeah. So um I appreciate that. I wasn't trying to be vain. I was just like, but I was <laughs> on that list too. <laughs> I need to hit all the camera. Yeah. That was a dope conversation. Oh my goodness. Um, so okay, so thinking about and speaking about black culture around the world. Um, okay, let's bring it back to America because mm-hmm. I really want to ask you um what you think about how how we can you know how like okay, in America we have uh, what's known as the SAT diet. You know what I'm talking about? Stand, what is it? Standard American diet? Sure. Yeah. You've heard that term before? Absolutely. It's funny how it's okay. SAT. That's the abbreviation. That's that's true. We lose a lot of us that way. It really is. It really is. And okay, so you know that there's like, uh, I wouldn't even say it's an epidemic among Black people. It's just our people have not been known to be the healthiest people. And we definitely, our community is riddled with a lot of um, different types of ailments, you know, diabetes and hypertension and Mm -hmm. things like that. And so I'm wondering how can better black relations to food impact society is as far as you like to tell it to. Sure. I mean, personally, I would call it an epidemic. Because when I go through D.C. on my way to work and stuff, I'm starting to see more, you know, diabetic centers, um, dialysis centers, things like that popping up, even, you know, just as much as like the fast food places are popping up. So, I mean, you go into these other communities that are more white and you don't see all these fast food joints there. And so the solution for that is one, um, self-empowering ourselves. Um, getting involved mm-hmm. in the community gardens because I don't think the solution is just the community garden. I think the community garden is a good jump off point to educate yeah. 
our communities. We need people to start empowering themselves. So with my platform, I'm not like just, okay, go out and, you know, give money to this organization. Cause I've worked in the nonprofit world for a little bit and it can, you can kind of hit a wall, you know, in the nonprofit world when it comes to like building community gardens and things like that. Those are important. I'm not saying community gardens aren't important. We need that for our chefs. We need to have a place that's similar like a grocery store. We can go and get fresh produce so we can learn what that is and educate ourselves. What I'm saying is people need to get connected back to the land so that they can take those matters to their own hand because everybody has some type of space. Even if you live in an apartment, you know, when I was, I'm still living in an apartment, I used my entire window just to like grow food. I was growing like tomatoes. I was growing like eggplants, you know, sunflowers, things like that, just in my window. So I know what's possible about empowering ourselves and educating ourselves. Yeah, that that is dope. Making sure that we are taking advantage of whatever space that we have, because uh, sometimes you do just have to start small. And mm-hmm. um, you said when you were talking about the community gardens and having that resource, it made me think about what uh, a term that someone mentioned to me in a conversation like this recently, where she was like, "Yeah, we we need to eat black." Yes. That could have a very positive uh, economic impact on our community mm-hmm. if we were growing our own food and we were sourcing ourselves and paying into each other. You know what I mean? That would be that would be dope. That's the dream, right? Absolutely. Uh, I was just looking up one of my like up and coming favorites as far as chefs. Um, he's not vegan, but I love what um, Chef uh, Kwame Awachi. Amuchi, I think, is doing. Uh, I think he's, I think he's a New York native, but he's in DC now. He does like a fine dining restaurant, but he's taking what he learned from his time in Africa and cultivating, you know, a new cuisine. I mean, it's not new; it's just been in the culture forever. But he's putting a spotlight on this type of cuisine. Um, you know, people like Michael Twitty, who I don't know if you've read his book. Uh, it's called "A Journey Through African American Culinary History in the Old South." And uh-huh. flipping things like soul food, you know, on his head, you know, I watched the video with him and he was talking about how we ate way more vegetables in our soul food than, you know, we think our media would have us believe. I think stuff like our culture, especially with like soul food has been bastardized over time and has been changed to something Ooh. else. But, you know, when we look at something else, the first thing we brought over, you know, um, with the slave trade and everything was, you know, okra. They would tie okra um, in the hair and we, you know, planted seeds in the South and that's our roots. Our roots are the vegetables. So, you know, we just got to figure out how to tell our own stories. Yeah. I love that you mentioned Michael Twitty because I literally last week was just introduced to Michael Twitty. Uh, The book that, that was mentioned to me was the cooking game and Mm -hmm. how, went back and he was cooking um he was cooking in the way that it was the food was prepared back when you know we were on the plantations and stuff like that so mm-hmm. I didn't read it I was just told about it and I'm like okay you're adding to my reading list thank you so mm-hmm. much <laughs> I don't have hey. no beef obviously I haven't, I haven't finished it either so you know what we okay. might need to do since we both on the same books anyway we might need to start a book club or something because i you, need that i need accountability but no you're absolutely right you beat me to it because i was um i had mentioned octavia butler on a previous episode and how um i was starting with the parable of the sower and of course you and i as i mentioned earlier in the episode farming while black so mm-hmm. um, we're going to wrap it up in a minute, but tell me how you came across Farming Wild Black and why you picked it up, why it's important for everybody to read that. Yes. So Farming Wild Black, I already knew it was going to be on my list. Um, actually, my friend Melissa L. Jones from the Edible Activist podcast, shout out to Melissa. That's like big sis um, in DC. She put me on to the book and I'm so glad she did because I've only been through maybe one, two chapters. I don't even think I made it that far. And I was already like so emotional at the beginning. When you open up the book, the first thing you see is just this artwork of um, 
you know, seeds being planted, being braided into the hair and, you know, talking yep. about our sovereignty of the land. And I was like, wow, this is already going to be powerful. But this, I like this yep. book because it's, it's not only theory and, um, you know, just hearsay. It's actually like, a, like it says, it's a practical guide to liberating the land. Like it teaches you how to build systems around building farm, building community, and just knowledge. And this is, I think, what we're missing in our community. We have the knowledge, we have the resources. It might not always be money. It, it could be just passing down the information we already know and using what we already yep. have. Yeah, even uh, I remember uh, kind of flipping through and I saw that, uh, shout out to the author, Leah Penniman. She's definitely yep. going to be on the show. Don't, she's coming on my show. I don't know what y'all even talking about. Shout out to her if you're listening. <laughs> but <laughs> she mentioned Susu and like, you know, the whole uh, putting the money together in the pot. And I was just right. like, wow. Yeah, by any means, whatever we got to do to get it let's get it so that was very yes we will follow up i think that would be a great uh way for you to come back on the show sure let's just do a book chat about farming while black how do you feel about that i i, I would love that i would absolutely yeah. love that plenty of time to digest make little notes and everything love it yeah yeah, because that's, that's going to be literally, that might be a two-part episode because there's a lot to talk about in this book. But, um, sure. wow. Okay, so Christian, Chris, I'm going to call you yes. Chris because we home. <laughs> tell, um. <laughs> tell us where we can find you. How do we tune into Afrobeats? What are your social media handles? Yeah, um, I mean, Afrobeats. Uh, beats like the vegetable.org you can pretty much find everything on there um, I'm hot on Instagram at afro underscore beats um, Twitter Facebook uh, TikTok uh, YouTube channel is is up and we're going to get it rolling again for the new year um, so pretty much on every social media you can find me just look me up my dude said TikTok. All right, y'all. So make TikTok. sure that you hit him up on TikTok. <laughs> I'm acting like a straight fool on TikTok this year, y'all. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. I haven't even touched TikTok yet. I'm excited about that. But I am mainly excited at this very moment to have had the opportunity to have this conversation with you, Chris. It has been dope. And I would like to wish you love, light, and soil. Uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. We'll definitely do this again. Work. Thank you so much for tuning in to Black in the Garden this week. Season two, episode two is one for the books. Thank you so much, Chris. And make sure y'all tune in to Afrobeats podcast because why you like just support like I'm just playing. But for real, support the Afrobeats podcast share black stories is the sticker that they put on Instagram, uh, support this black podcast. I've talked to you about ways that you can support, uh, before we got started with the interview. So I'm not going to reiterate that, but, uh, there's just so many ways that you can do so. It's not just monetarily tell your friends, tell your family members, spread the word, repost, put it on Facebook, share on the Twitters, share on the Instagram. The internet is so vast. You know what I mean? I'm just like, it's just a matter of time before uh, something happens where it's like, oh my God, now everybody is listening to Black in the Garden. I just know that that moment is coming and it's fine. I'm excited, but I am also patient. That is the thing that you learn when you be growing stuff. You just have to wait. <laughs> you got to do all the things that you're supposed to do to create the most ideal growing conditions. But in the meanwhile, that ass is going to wait. All right. So I appreciate you all for, um, you know, being a part of this growing process and supporting this podcast. I appreciate you. Did I just say that? I probably just said it. I say it all the time because it's true. So, uh, you know, where the, all the handles are They're in the show notes, of course, but I'm on Instagram at Black in the Garden. That's the primary social media source at this point. Also, there's a Facebook page, Black in the Garden. There's Twitter at Black in the Garden. 
and our website is underway. I cannot wait for that. As well as the YouTube, find Black in the Garden on YouTube. Subscribe, like, check it out, share, just, you know, support in the ways that you can support, that whatever feels right for you, and so on and so forth. I just want to wish you love, light, and soil. And this episode is done. Y'all have a good one.